This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The oral law says, the oral law says that there must be a sharp knife with no dents and no imperfections has to be used. My grandfather had a wooden box with his special slaughter knives that had no dents or imperfections that he worked with. And with these knives, there has to be one swift, deep cut of the throat that must sever both the trachea and the esophagus with one stroke. That the stroke has to be with no hesitation, that there cannot be excessive pressure or any chopping, and there can be no incision in any other place other than that prescribed area across the throat where you hit the trachea and the esophagus. No laceration, no tearing of the trachea or esophagus that would come from a dented knife, and no slaughter of a parent animal and a child animal on the same day. Then the lungs have to be examined and make sure there's no defect then certain areas of fat have to be removed over the kidneys, over the spleen, over the certain other parts have to be removed, that a particular sinew of the thigh vein has to be excised, it has to be removed. It's no wonder that my father became a surgeon, right? Which includes the inner sinew and the outer sinew and the branches in the thigh, they have to be removed, and all the veins in the arteries had to be removed, and especially in the knee joints. You have to cut the knee joints to excise those veins and arteries. Then once you've done all that, surgical procedures, then the meat has to be soaked and salted to remove any traces of blood. And there's even more detailed instructions that are in the oral law. All of which boils down to the oral law guarantees the job protections for the rabbis, of course because the, only they can do this. And all of this means the price of kosher meat is expensive, which, guarantee, which, which is income, make, making money. And right now, I'm, I'm actually experiencing that. Uh, 
just how expensive all that kosher meat is, as we're uh, in the process of buying food for an Orthodox family, a family of 10, who's going to spend two weeks with us in one of our homes in Loretto. And uh, we're buying all the food for that. And, and as we are now buying the food, in the, and uh, it's only three pages of things we have to buy, by the way. But anyway, as we're buying all this food, the kosher brisket is $20 a pound. The kosher London broil is $15 a pound. And a kosher chicken is $12 a pound, if you believe that. And it's mounting up. I mean, kosher meat is remarkably expensive. But what choice do we have? It's limited. Fortunately, I don't have to buy kosher lobster or kosher crab. They're really expensive. But all these detailed instructions, all of this is specified in the oral law. Moses gives a simple instruction, just pour out the blood on the ground and cover it with dust. And, but that's not good enough. No, we need the oral law to tell us much greater detail of how this is to be done. And here's the issue. If you don't follow the oral law for making kosher meat, then it's a great sin. It's a great sin for the Orthodox people. To, not, to eat non-kosher meat brings about a great guilt of the conscience, of the soul. That basically boils down to to not follow these ever-evolving oral law brings a guilt to the conscience. And that, my friends, is how the oral law represents a tyranny over the conscience. Because when violation of the oral law results in a guilty conscience, then the oral law has succeeded in becoming a tyrant of the conscience. Tyranny of the conscience is how the oral law holds the people in bondage with its demands for how to make kosher meat, how to not eat meat and dairy together, as in a cheeseburger, how to not eat pork, how to wear a yarmulke on the head and, be, and, and become what we call yamis. What words you are to use when you pray. What exact time interval you have for lighting candles on Friday night at the beginning of Shabbos, Shabbat. How to unscrew the light bulbs inside the refrigerator so they don't go on and represent some kind of work on Saturday Shabbat. How the man and wife are to sleep in separate beds during the period of the month how you are to not answer the phones and not turn on the stoves and not turn on the ovens and not drive a car on Saturday Shabbat. Which elevators are authorized to use on Saturday Shabbat? What words, and on and on and on they go, also included are more elaborations based on 613 laws of Judaism. And this is all called, these are all part of the oral law which they say is an elaboration, an explanation on how to, on how to guide for the written law. And for the, like I said, for the Orthodox Jew, to violate the oral law brings a guilt to the conscience. That's how the oral law reigns as a tyrant, over the conscience. And that's why I want to have friendships with the Orthodox Jewish community. And that's why we're making one of our homes in Loretto, on the beach in Loretto, to be a vacation place for Orthodox Jewish people. Why? Because some of those Jewish people sense, sense this tyranny of their conscience by the oral law. And I want to be there for them when they question, 
why they are being held in this tyranny of the conscience. For example, yesterday in the airport in Loretto, there was this woman sitting across from me who was irritating me. And um, I should have been smart enough to realize that when that happens, God wants me to have a relationship with her. She was 82-year-old. Later, I found out she was a Jewish lady from South Africa. And I asked her if she was observant and she was orthodox, and she told me that she was proud to be Jewish, but she, she was not orthodox. And I said, well, why not? Why not? And what she said was very interesting to me. She said, I do not like someone telling me the words I have to pray when I pray to God. That's the person I'm looking for. That's who I'm looking for, the Jewish person who feels misguided by the rabbis so I can tell them all about another rabbi outside of the synagogal system, Rabbi Jesus. And one important part of the oral law is how the hands have to be washed before eating bread. And it's this oral law, or as it's called in verse 2, the tradition of the elders, and you say, is this oral law really powerful? Does it have any teeth? Is it really powerful? This, is this tradition of the elders powerful? And that can be answered, that question can be answered in one word in verse two. Verse two, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Transgress? That's a pretty powerful word. I mean, what would you think of a mother who said to her child, her child, he says, I, I, who said to her child, I told you to clean your room. You have transgressed my command. You think, transgressed my command? Who do you think you are, God? Well, so when the scribes and Pharisees use this word transgress, they're implying that it was, and they say this, the oral law has just as much authority as the written law. To violate the oral law is to sin just like sinning against what the Bible says. The, to violate the tradition of the elders is to sin, just like it's a sin against the Bible. And this is what happens whenever there's an exaltation of tradition. To violate it becomes a transgression. And the word transgression shows how the tradition has been set up in competition with the Bible. And a choice has to be made, which one? is going to be followed. In this case, we're talking about the oral law, which is called the tradition of the elders, which has been written in the Talmud. So the oral law has become a written law of itself, another written law, just like the Book of Mormon is another written law, which is, that's another written law. In Ethiopia, we ran into this because the elders in the Orthodox Church there, they have their writings, and they, very, they just come right out and say it. Oh, the writings of the elders are more important than the Bible. That's what they say. So now one book has got to come in front of the other. Either I'm going to take the oral law and evaluate the Bible, or I'm going to take the Bible and evaluate the oral law in the light of it. One or the other. You can't have both. Which one's going to be the standard? So it's called the tradition, and, and by the way, so they call the oral law today, in this day, it's called the tradition of the elders very, very important title. Tradition of the elders, they say elders. Why do they say elders, tradition of the elders? The idea that here, which is actually told to me today, but anyway, the idea here is that it's been used for so long, for so long. How can you possibly dare to question something that's been in, in use for thousands of years? 
This is what my rabbi friend tells me. Tom, what do you have? You have Tom Cantor religion. How old is that? We have the oral law that came from Mount Sinai when it was spoken to our elders in front of millions of Jewish people. The origin of the oral law dates back to Mount Sinai thousands of years ago, as he says. Did Jesus exist 2,000 years ago? He says, and on and on. So just by virtue of how old it is, they, they say that makes it authoritative. It's beyond the reach of question. I mean, who can question something that was done at Mount Sinai? So, so what's the tradition of the elders here? Washing hands. They should wash their hands often. Reminds me of the time during um, when I was at the mall here, and the Israelis were there selling their Dead Sea salts. And I went to one Israeli, and I, I said, uh, have you ever sinned before? Have you ever done a sin? Stupid question, but I asked it anyway. Have you ever sinned? And the guy drops his head and he says, yes, yes, I have. I said, what was it? You know? like it's my business. What was it? And he said, I ate a cheeseburger one time. <laughs> so I said, was it good? No, I didn't say it. So his conscience bothered him. He was clearly bothered. He was shook up by that. He ate a cheeseburger. Now, where does this command from God to not eat a cheeseburger come from? It doesn't. It's a tradition of the elders. It's a commandment of men. It's, but his conscience bothered him because he ate the cheeseburger, all of which shows the effect of the tradition of the elders, all of which shows how the tyranny over the conscience. And it worked. And you're taught that as a child. It holds a tyranny over the conscience. I've been liberated from this tradition of the elders for over 50 years, but I've got to tell you the truth. I still have a hesitation when I take a cheeseburger. I shouldn't because I was taught that as a child. Don't serve me a cheeseburger. Eating without washing the hands can become a matter, uh, it can really, you don't know what's on your hands. Microbes are there. Reminds me of a clinical sales manager we had over 20 years ago. Her job was to visit our sales staff. We had four, uh, 14 clinical sales staff around the country. So she was always on the road, staying in hotels. She was so afraid of hidden microbes that she had a very strange practice when she stayed in a hotel. She'd ask the hotel for extra towels, many towels and sheets. She would line the top of the bed with new sheets. She wouldn't get under those covers, oh no. She carpeted the hotel room in towels. She wouldn't walk on the hotel floor unless it was covered with towels. Chairs, sofas in the room, all with fresh towels, carpeted everywhere. As a matter of fact, the Holiday Inn over here on Murray Drive, right off of Highway 8 near Anthony's, they told us she can never stay in our hotel again. They banned her permanently. Why'd she do all this? She did all this because she imagined that there were microbes everywhere in the hotel room. She had to protect herself from them. And every time she covered everything in the hotel with the sheets and the towels, it just reinforced her fear the microbes were going to get her. She imagined that if she was on a bed that wasn't covered with sheets or, and, or walked on the floor that wasn't covered with towels, she's going to get infected. In the same way, the elders made the people feel that they were dirty on the inside if they ever didn't wash their hands before eating. And this is an issue. It's a big issue. I remember being an eight-year-old kid um, and going into the bathroom during Yom Kippur in the synagogue. And when I had finished doing my business, I was leaving the bathroom and I didn't wash my hands. 
And as soon as I was leaving, there was a hand on my shoulder. And I turned around, it was an old man. I thought I was looking in the face of God. I was so scared. He says to me, Jews always wash their hands and they go to the bathroom. And I turned around and washed my hands. That man instilled in me that it was a terrible sin to not wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. And ever since then, I go to the bathroom, I think, I have to wash my hands because it's a terrible sin to not wash my hands after I go to the bathroom. And if you don't wash your hands, I feel very guilty, like I'd done some big terrible sin. That's how the tradition of the washing of the hands was used as a tyranny over the conscience. A famous rabbi, uh, Joseph, who he wrote in the Mishnah part of the Talmud, and he said these words, if you don't wash your hands before eating, it's as bad a sin as committing adultery. Think about that. A very famous rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, was imprisoned by the Romans, and he was allowed to have a certain amount of water every day. And he used half the water for washing his hands, and the other half he used to drink. And so a Roman guard, the Roman guard there, one day poured out half of his water. And then, the, so Rabbi Akiva only had half his water, and he had to make a choice, wash his hands or drink. And so Rabbi Akiva, one of his students came, brought him the water. Rabbi Akiva chose to wash his hands instead. And then the student says, but you didn't drink water. What about that? And he said, it's better to die of thirst than to sin by not washing the hands before eating. Hmm? And their custom also was that if there was one person in a group that didn't wash his hands before eating, you couldn't eat with the group. Now, you, you, you couldn't, he couldn't eat with the group. You had to not eat. That's how the tradition of washing the hands was used by the elders to mount this tyranny over the conscience. And the Lord Jesus was very aware of this. And so before this happened here, the Lord Jesus made a, a very strong indirect statement against this tradition of washing the hands. When you remember, he turned the water into wine at his first miracle at the marriage of Cana of Galilee. And there's a little part in that description there, which most of us, when we read it, we just skip over and says, yeah, okay, so whatever. But it's very important. The people had run out of water. I mean, they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. And the Lord Jesus is going to take some containers of water and turn it into wine. Now, he could have used any containers, for, for turning the water into wine. But he chose some certain containers which are told to us, which are very interesting. John 2, verses 1. John 2, verse 1. John 2, 1. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. There were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now, bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. So the Lord Jesus chose those water pots which were empty, by the way, which were used only for washing the hands, only for the tradition of washing the hands. As it, as it says here, 
six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. You never would use those pots for anything else. You're not going to put wine in them. You're not going to drink out of them. These are only for that purpose. They're like sanctified. They're important. So you can imagine when the wine is brought and everyone say, hey, those containers are only to be used for water after the tradition of hand washing, not for wine. But by using those containers to turn the water into wine, the Lord is saying, the wine is more important than your tradition of your hand washing. Let's put an end to this tradition of this hand washing. Because washing, the meticulous washing, is a distraction from the real problem. The real problem is the need to wash the heart. And the more that a person resorts to this ceremonial washing of the body, which is done in Japan, by the way, they come in there, they have the little hand-washing area. The more a person focuses on that, the more they're actually feeling dirty on the inside and the more they need to be clean. Like the time in Switzerland when I felt so guilty and so dirty inside that I took those two-hour showers in the high school there. But the reality is, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So they came now accusing the, the, the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem came now accusing the disciples of not washing their hand before they ate. So they, they, they came on a mission. They came to bring him down. And they look around, and, well, where are we going to choose here? I and mean, they didn't come. They didn't come from Jerusalem saying, okay, we're going to go after the hand washing. No, they came there to see where they're going to attack. And they came there and they saw that, oh, these, they didn't wash their hands, which is kind of interesting. Of all, they said, that's it? That's all they got? That's all they had on the disciples, that they didn't wash their hands before they ate? Now, when you look at those that tradition, or you look at the traditions, or you look at that tradition, and maybe when, you, when I said tyranny of the conscience, I said, whoa, that's a little strong, but that's what it was. It's not obvious it's a tyranny on the conscience. On the surface, when you look at these traditions, they look so harmlessly cultural. They look so harmlessly uh, just giving identity to the people. Like, like nothing more than eating chicken soup, matzo ball soup, or whatever. It's just something you do. Like my Jewish cousin told me, that she doesn't keep the traditions. She eats lobster. She likes lobster. Anyway, my Jewish cousin tells me, she said, let the Orthodox do all their traditions and customs. It's not for me. I'm just glad that someone is keeping our culture alive. See, that's all it looks like on the surface. It just looks like traditions that are harmless. Idiosyncrasies, let them wear their cap, their hats. Their, that's nothing. Keep the flame of Jewish culture alive down through the millennia. But the traditions are not just a set of customs that keep a people from being lost into a pool of assimilations. We see here why it's so dangerous, because they confront the authority of Christ. They confront the authority of the Bible. And this is the conflict that's described in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter 15, that oppose the Lord Jesus. The tool and the weapon is the tradition of the elders. The tool and the weapon today is the oral law. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the freedom, Lord, releasing us from the tyranny, this conscious, making us justified in Christ. Lord, making us free from the law, oh, happy condition. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.